Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Back on the show, one of my favorites, Erin Fall Haskell, or as we call her, Dr. Erin. If you are unfamiliar with her work, you can go back to episode 259 of the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Dr. Erin is the creator and also one of the hosts of Good Morning La La Land. And I really love what she's doing over there because there's so much positivity and healing and good vibes coming out of something that is considered a new show, which is very rare. Welcome back. Oh my gosh, Elle, I love you so much. I'm so happy to just sit and have a conversation, a conscious conversation. Nobody would I rather do that with than you. Uh, thank you so much. And I do have to mention your father, who was on the show as well, uh, Dr. Alexander Haskell, wonderful doctor doing great work with getting people off of opioids and through opioid addiction. So if you haven't listened to that and you're interested in that, Dr. Alexander Haskell on the uh, Primal Blueprint podcast, you also are the author of Awakening, a 40-day guide to unleashing your spiritual powers, life's purpose, and manifesting your dreams. And I know your mission really is to um, awake people to the subconscious mind, and we're going to talk even more about that today. So for people that haven't heard your previous episode, give us a little rundown on what led you to writing this book and get into this work. Sure. It sounds really woo-woo, right? Awakening. It's like, okay, whatever. What a, one of those. Um, you know, for me, it was, of course, I have my primary, like what I call my TED Talk, which is really about having a stillborn at the age of 22 and having a profound moment in the basement of a mortician's house the day after giving birth to his dead body and just having, uh, you know, a come to Jesus moment, not, not literally, but literally in the sense of saying, what the F are we doing here? And I got to figure this stuff out and sent me on a, you know, now 24 year track of, of wondering what we're doing here, how, how we work, how energy works, how we get happy, how we deal with things like trauma in the realm of health, wealth, and relationships, which we all deal with. Yeah, let's start there. So how do you find trauma? So I believe, you know, when, if I were to go back to that little girl that was in that room at 22 years old, you know, holding her dead baby, one of the primary things I would want her to understand is that she has to do her trauma work, which we all have our trauma, right? So trauma is relative. Trauma doesn't mean that you have to be a a war vet or be in a car accident, have trauma. Trauma um, from some points and perspective definition is a moment where you have a high, high amount of negative emotion backed by a limited belief. So for example, um, when my parents got divorced, you know, I was a little girl and I remember um, having this moment where my dad was driving away. And I remember just being so upset and, and just thinking, you know, love leaves, like I'm not worthy of love. And in that moment, you know, that decision set into my subconscious mind and played out over and over again in the relationships of my life. Like abandonment issues? Yeah, total abandonment issues, you know, daddy issues, as I say, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. Um, Whether it was that or, you know, a lot of people dealing with health, you know, after I had my stillborn son, I actually got pregnant a month of the day with my son who now is 23 years old. And little people don't know the story very much because I'm always telling the story of when I had a stillborn. 
But when my son was nine months old, we were in a rollover accident going 60 miles per hour. Oh my God. And um, luckily my son was fine and same with his father. I herniated my my back. I, I literally got laid up for two weeks at a time. I couldn't move. And it was through doing you know trauma work that it completely healed itself. So I'm a big advocate for anybody out there, whether they're dealing with money issues or whether they're dealing with health issues or relationship issues or whatever, that it comes down to trauma work. You know, uh, so interesting. I've had a couple of those experiences, but let's start with, um, you know, a health one, like an accident. I know uh, I recently had some major trauma around the fires, like I told you, that had happened um, yes, here a while back. Right? That was pretty traumatic, and I had to really do some deep work there. And uh, um you know, it's interesting. So in, in, in health too, you know, because I have a, a physical disability and I know, you know, you work with Jeslyn, she does as well. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's um, revisiting the trauma, for example. Um, and I know Jeslyn and I, we've talked about this personally, where sometimes just going to the doctor for a thing for the disability, whatever it is that you have, like if you have to go in and get a cortisone shot or you have to go in and even just get paperwork, just that trip alone is kind of brings it all up again kind of thing. Mm, you know, it, it's like a re, it's, it's a reminder of something you try to put away and then it's in your face when you have to like document it, go do something about it. And sometimes I've put it off. I've put off cortisone shots and things like that. Not because no one likes to get shots. We don't, but I put it off also just to not have to address the feelings I'm going to feel that day. Um, I've had those moments before that sometimes is ongoing, although it's less and less over time. Um, how did you do trauma work or what quote is trauma work? What did you have to get into? That's a, that's a major thing when you herniate a disc and you're laid up like that. It's um, debilitating and the nerve pain is demoralizing. Well, one, I just want to recognize you for what you did go through with the, with the Malibu fires. I'll never forget the story of hearing how you were like basically surrounded by the fires at the beach. And I just was thinking, well, I wonder what was going through her mind. You know, I wonder what, and I think it's moments like that where you decide, you decide, you know, life is bad or you decide you're going to prevail, you know, and those. those well, you know, it's funny. I had a moment at the beach, you know, I was all alone and uh, no cell phones worked. I did have a chance to borrow someone's phone to call a friend who had been through fires, you know, so I wanted to, I needed that commiseration. And I did have the thought because at the time the mountain was burning where I lived and I had heard that my neighborhood had burned down and I wasn't sure if my place was there. And I did have a moment of acceptance, probably through all of the work I've done up until now, allowing me to sit there and go, it's okay. It's either there and I'm going to go about my life or it's not there, but I'm not going to argue with whatever it is because I know that if it's not there and yes, I have to go through the pain of the ass of starting over and, you know, okay, getting the new, you know, like I got to get a new hard drive and all this stuff that I know would also lead to something amazing. I have that belief now. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't in fear. I was in immediate fear just of the situation. But in terms of, I wasn't sitting there crying thinking, oh my God, my place is gone. In fact, it was quite a like, moment of acceptance, but I don't think I would have been there had I not done all the work we do. Do you know what I mean? Right. So let's get down to this. Okay. Let's get down to trauma because whether it may be that my back was herniated or Jeslyn has, you know, her arm was in severely damaged or whatever you've gone through or anyone, whether it be uh, something going on in the body, a health issue, or whether it be something more, let's take a health issue, for example, though. Okay. So we want to get clear of what 
subconscious work is and what, sorry, rather trauma, which is the same, right? So the subconscious work is brilliant. I mean, we first want to acknowledge the brilliance of, of it being re-stimulated by you even just simply going to the doctor. The, the, the body has such great memory that it knows that even if it even thinks about what's going on with that pain point, it brings up more pain. It resists it because there is, there's a lie around it. There is a resistance in an energetic level around that. Okay. So what happens when something happens in the body and is that the the subconscious, as we know, is about plays out 95, 98% of our automated system, right? So we first want to acknowledge it. It it beats the heart. It does chemical equations and mathematical equations that no chemist on this planet could do. It does miraculous things every nanosecond. So it is basically, it takes, you know, we have 60,000 to 70,000 thoughts per day. We have just trillions of things that it has to manage every day. So we want to say, thank you, subconscious. You do so much for us. But there's certain things in the subconscious mind, like trauma, that it will hold on to. And because its primary work is to have us survive. So if you survive by going through whatever accident you went through, it will hold on to that memory because that had you survive, even though you didn't die, you know, the trauma actually had you survive. So it's, it's brilliant that way, right? So quantum physics, neuroscience, epigenetics, everything is sane. Everything leads to consciousness. And the truth is that you are not your body. You're not any disease. You're not any health issues. You are the spirit behind energy that is directing it, okay? So any trauma that has happened in the body has an energetic emotion, tied to it. So look, we know that we've seen miracles happen. We've seen spontaneous recovery. There is proof of what's possible now through consciousness. Some things are damaged, right? Some things we, you know, some things cannot be cured or healed through the consciousness, but we're now beginning to see that we can't, even though we technically can't say anything can be cured, right? But we've seen this. So when we go into trauma work, so say for example, with you, we would go back into the time when your trauma happened. We would actually go in and take a look and re-experience what happened. Because we're just like computers. I, I, I use this analogy a lot. So if you're listening to this podcast, I would imagine you're listening on your computer or your phone, most likely. If you take a look at your phone, that's what's considered, and you touch your phone, that's considered the hardware inside of your phone is what's considered the software, okay? So your body is like the hardware. The software inside is the beliefs, everything that's been programmed through your DNA, through your cultural beliefs, all that stuff, okay? Then you have memory. And in us, we call it the Akashic records, if spiritually, right? And in your phone, you have a certain type of memory, okay? But your phone, you could have the best phone, the best software, the best memory, but if you don't have someone using and working the phone, it's not going to do anything, right? Mm-hmm. So, and your phone or your computer can get glitches in it. It gets viruses. It gets too much in the cache. It gets, you know, too many things open. It starts slowing down. Well, the same thing happens with us. So trauma is like getting, you know, a major virus going on, right? So there's a glitch in the system yeah. and we have to re-experience that incident and oftentimes, the emotions backed by the traumatic incident are actually holding it and resisting it from actually being able to heal. Can you dive into that sentence a little bit further or clarify? 
Yes. So when you go in and you re-experience a traumatic incident, for example, when I was in that rollover truck accident going 60 miles per hour, when I went into trauma, I had to re-experience that incident over and over again until I could as is it, until there were no more emotions attached to it. It just was that I was in a car accident. Sucked, but it is what it was, right? So I took off all the charge, off all the emotions, and in that potential, because it was no longer being bounded by resistance at a quantum physics level, it was able to free up the energy, and luckily for me, it was able to heal. That may not be in all cases, right? But it, it is, you know, it, we've seen the spontaneous recovery, and for me, I experienced a spontaneous recovery, and I've witnessed it over and over again with clients. Yeah. And I mean, if very famous book, um, Anita Morjani, talk about one of the highest documented spontaneous healing events from multiple cancerous tumors. Um, everybody should, should check out that, that book. Um, and yeah, and we talk about Bruce Lipton, biology of belief. There's so much to this. So it's, again, it's like taking the sting out of it, going to readdress it, not ignoring it and moving on and trying to forget about it. Clearly that just creates more of that well that it's going to spring up from. Yeah. And I think that, look, we don't want to disacknowledge if somebody's dealing with a health issue that, that is, you know, that, that for whatever reason, we, we want to acknowledge that wherever you're at is, is where you're at and that there's only perfection, that what we resist and we say it's wrong if you have some kind of health issue, that's the exact thing that's actually impinging it itself. We have to be very cautious of how we consciously create and even perceive something like, quote, quote, a disease. Is there anything wrong with any disease? No, it's the it's well, it's the opinion and uh, perception we're putting on it on anything, right? For sure, hundred percent. So you know, another angle of trauma or a health situation, and we're just talking about health for right now. We'll get into money and other stuff, but in talking about like a health trauma, an accident, or someone's got like a chronic disease they're they're dealing with and 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 trying to heal. There is also this other level of trauma that goes beyond the incident or the accident or the onset of the disease. And to me, and this is a little bit what I talked about at Paleo FX and I've spoken with you about it is, uh, then there's this other stuff that comes up, the shame, the embarrassment, the, oh no, I'm different now. Like there's all sorts of things that stem from that, that also, you know, and how do we get into that. Do the trauma work first, then you get into these peripherals that are kind of lingering on the outskirts? I mean, for me, that's a whole daily spiritual practice. I mean, anytime I'm judging anything, whether it be my disease or whether it be my butt is too big, right? You know, like, doesn't matter what we're judging. We're literally like holding it in, in, in energetically what we resist persists. Mm-hmm. So if it's in a relationship and we don't like the way our partner is acting or whether it be our you know, disease we're dealing with, or whatever that may be, if we are seeing it as, as something's wrong with me, we're literally have become the effect of the physical realm. And therefore, we now have assigned our positive, our joy, and our suffering outside of ourselves, and we completely disempower ourselves the moment we even consider that. That's a great, that's a great way to explain that. What are some examples of people other than yourself that went through like, you know, an example of a traumatic experience that was really affecting their life negatively in what ways? And then I'd love to hear about, you know, the work they did and what came on the other side of that. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm trying to think there's been so many thousands of people, right? So, I mean, a majority of the, like I have friend, 
friends, I have clients, they're friends now, um, that have dealt with things like, you know, their parents beating them. I have, uh, people have been molested. Um, uh, one of the very uh, classic stories I talk about is somebody who witnessed somebody being murdered over money when they were a child and how that impacted them as being a CEO and constantly feeling like they were at war to get money and to keep money and how it played out in them becoming total workaholic and how once they did the traumatic work, they were freed up from having to feel like it was a war, that it was something that they you know, could just play around with and, and make money and be able to keep money and not have it be ruling their life like they're slave to it. It is so interesting. That's a good one because that is so nuanced and subtle. Some people might not catch that one kind of thing. But if you dive back into the money, and I guess we should, we could go into that. That's a great one. Did you put that one in your book? Cause I think I I've, did. I've, uh-huh. yeah, that's one I, remember, the- I remember that one. That's a, that's a really good one because you dig deep enough and you go, Oh, there it is. Right. Yeah. And I think that we think of trauma as only something that happened like, yeah, being raped or being whatever. We don't think of it as something that, that was something that we could see of somebody else, you know, being hurt, that that's not trauma to us. But it is because anytime we have a high state of a negative, way, way heightened state backed by a belief of the way people are, we are, or life is, it impinges in our subconscious mind because it becomes a new identity of how we see life. What are some other ways you've seen people who've had trauma, whether directly or indirectly, kind of like the scenario you just mentioned, uh, again, that we're, we're, might be subtle. Someone out there might be like, ooh, I need to look at that. You know, because that one's a subtle one. That's interesting. It's not as obvious as, you know, someone got into an accident. Yeah. You know, I think the most uh, thing I've noticed is that we as children, we have mirroring cells. We know that, right? Science has proven that. And a lot of the clients I work with, we get, of course, into their childhood, which sounds so cliche, like <laughs> therapy-esque, but we really do mirror how our, how our parents viewed us. So if a lot of my clients, for example, if their parents didn't view them as like they were too busy and they, you know, they'll have a moment, right? We don't think of it as trauma, but like, for example, a client, remember, uh, she was in preschool or kindergarten and it was a very traumatic incident even when her mom left her the first day and mm-hmm. how that decision of that, you know, that love, again, ab- abandonment issues, again, I'm not good enough. Again, I'm different. Something's wrong with me. You know, these are the core foundational, like limiting beliefs. I'm not good enough. I am different. Something's wrong with me. You know, I've mentioned it before, but a subtle one I just thought of was a friend of mine who was always sort of like the family dynamic was that she was sort of always wrong about stuff. You know, she'd be blamed if something was missing, even though she didn't take it, but she was always kind of wrong. And it seeped into her adult life where every single job she was on, there's something went wrong, or even if it wasn't her fault, she was made to be wrong. And it wasn't until we really took a look at that. And I was like, oh, that's why this is happening. And she turned it around. And then from then on out, had the most incredible work experiences where nothing went wrong. And in fact, no one got yelled at. And afterwards, people were like, I loved working you. That was amazing. And I could clearly see it was all her and the work she did about getting rid of that mirroring or that that label that was handed to her from a parent. Right. And that's the whole point of subconscious work is that when when the clients go through the, the trauma work, they see their commands. We call them commands. There's about usually 
a five core commands that you've decided, like, I can't do this. It doesn't matter anyway. Love never lasts, you know, whatever that command is. And once the clients see their commands of what they decided in, in the traumatic incidents of their life, then they can start spotting. It comes up from the subconscious mind and it's now in their consciousness. And now they, they're back to free will because they get to go, I have a choice in this. I can keep looking through that lens. I can keep that story or I can see how I'm just actually like projecting that into every single situation I'm in. And they have free choice to begin to make new habits for themselves. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. The, um, it, 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 it it was clear in my life, I discovered it, you know, doing this kind of work and looking into it where, uh, with relationships where when I was young, my father was a stockbroker and he lost all of our money at a certain point. And, you know, it was just, you know, kind of a disaster. And I remember, and I declared it even, I remember like speaking it to my mom at some point, And I remember being like, you can't trust men, you know, cause even when you can, then this could happen. Right, or something like that. It was just some story. And then it appeared to be true until one day I was like, you know, it's funny that this is always happening to me and I'm running into the stuff, but all the other people I know are not having the same experience. The common denominator is clearly me. I changed my story. I changed that, kind of took back and, you know, did a little ceremony of reclaiming that statement. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then um, my experience showed up so differently. In fact, it became the opposite. It it was like Uh every guy I ran into. But, you know, I didn't see it all those years until I did the work, which is why it's important to get into this and to ask all of these questions about childhood and along the way. Because if there's an area of your life that's not working out or the same pattern keeps coming up, this is it, right? Right. And it's fascinating too. I had a client that um, I don't usually do past lives that much. It's, it's only if somebody really desires to do it. Because whether you believe in past lives or not, it's really interesting because epigenetics now uh, has is you know finding that all of our memory of all lifetimes are coming through the DNA. But anyway, so this one client, she comes to me and, and she starts going to past lives right away. And I went, okay, let's go there. So she finds out, you know, she starts going into these past lives and she sees herself as this one woman that's, you know, um, you know, in this little home, like she's making all these, uh, has a farm and does this all stuff and takes care of the people that are passing through. But she's just this woman that just like is, you know, doesn't have much of anything. And she's basically, you know, raped by men that come by the house that are passing through the area and all kinds of crazy stuff happens. But the point is this, is whether you believe in past lives or not, there's some energetic kind of um, mythology that plays through all of us that is that turned out to be her purpose and calling of this lifetime to really help and empower women. And so it's like this crazy dynamic thing, the subconscious mind, if you think about it. What if, like how far deep the rabbit hole down do you want to go? You know, and it's so fascinating. I know it's like really woo-woo, but I love this stuff. I can't help it. What are some of the, um, if you don't mind sharing, what are some, you know, because doing this work a while and, you know, you, you get to new heights, new levels of little discoveries and nuances. What are some things that you recently were like, oh, okay, that's new. That's interesting. I noticed that. You know, I wish I could say, I think that it's fascinating because when you get into, when I've worked with clients over so many years and, and the trauma is some trauma, like I've, I've had clients that have told me they've raped their, you know, siblings. I've had clients that have told me they've killed people. Um, and as a client relation, I mean, that was someone who was jail, right? So, you know, there, there's different, there's all levels of, of trauma, and I don't know if anyone could ever really shock me anymore at this point in time. I've, I've heard a lot. 
and I've seen a lot. What I think would be the most surprising thing at this point in time is for someone to truly, truly go after their dreams, go after love, and, mm-hmm. and go beyond what the human race has known at this point in time. That's what would shock me. Right, because that's not the norm. That's, that's unique. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's unique. It's special. Let's talk about money trauma and some things around that. Let's hear some stories, some, some of the things. You know, we heard one about the murder, um, but let's get into money because, listen, everybody wants more money. We have a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, when you're a one-man show, as you know, sometimes that can be overwhelming and um, you just got to keep, keep going. But people have certain ideas about money. You know, uh, I'll, yeah. I'll share one. I have a friend whose <clears throat> father had to escape Iran back in the 70s, came here. They were very poor. They were so poor that they couldn't afford a cab to get their dying sister to the hospital and she died. Anyway, mm. the father is worth like $40 million, eats three days, like a week's old avocados, lives in a house that's crap, won't, won't enjoy one single penny of that money. And you can see how he's passed it on to his kids. And it wasn't until I had to point out to my friend who's the son, I said, I see where this pattern, you're you're doing the same thing. You're not enjoying, all you're doing is in the process of accumulating money, but there's nothing enjoyable about it. It's all to an end goal that is never enjoyed along the way. And, And finally, he was able to be like, oh my God, I am, have become my father. That's his money story. He just followed in the same footsteps. And, and sometimes we don't see it. And, and what a sad scenario that is, right? You, you, in the quest for all of this money and wealth for the safety that you once didn't have as a kid, but yet you literally cannot enjoy your life at all. You don't have one moment of enjoying any of that money. Such a fascinating, yes. You know, uh, so many stories. One that sticks out in my mind was um, a woman who, when she went into her trauma work, she went back into being a young girl and she had um, her father, you know, went and would go gambling and it would destroy, you know, they'd have lots of money some years and they'd have no money other years. And she just really felt that money was a really scary thing. So as she, you know, stepped into her entrepreneurship, as she got older, she just literally just would sabotage it. You know, she just, because the, the command was money is scary. So she had to play that out over and over again. So even when she would have it, she'd have to some some way create some scenario where it would disappear or get taken or whatever it is because she had to play out the command. Money is scary. And the point is, I think it's really interesting because look, science shows or something that after $70,000, we don't necessarily become more happy with money. In LA, it might be a little bit more than that. But the rest <laughs> of the world... 70,000 is where people can, you know, eat okay and and have a house or whatever for, you know, whatever. Not in LA, that's for sure. But, <laughs> um, but you know, the point is, is that money does not equate to happiness. In fact, like you just said, a lot of people are mentally not well around money. How much money? Money is meant to be exchanged. It's a currency. It's a flow. It's a money exchange. And so if you're not in flow with it and enjoying life and giving and receiving and serving, what is it for? Yeah. What are some ways um, we can get into, like if someone's listening, they're like, well, I know like my money situation is not great. Uh, or, you know, I, I, I see that I might have similar patterns, but like, where do I start? Like, what do I, uh, what am I looking for? 
Sure. I think the first thing is to become aware. So step one is to wake up and begin to become conscious. What's your story around money? What are your beliefs around money? What did you learn about the pattern of your of your parents or family or people around you? And do you think that money is more powerful than you? Mm. Right? Just the basics. And once you do that, then for me, I believe step two is to really reprogram. How do you do that? Yes, you can you know, have a therapist do EMDR, EFT, prolonged therapy, cognitive therapy, come to a spiritualist like me. There's many ways of reprogramming the subconscious mind. Uh, you, know, you can do it on your own, but I think it's, it's challenging, has its challenges for sure. And kind of moving over into relationships again, or let's get into that a little bit. You know, and this is the stuff we're talking about is exactly why someone who's abused will then go find another abuser and then another abuser, you know, that it'll, it'll be attracted to them until they break that again, because it's familiar in love to them, even though it's not healthy, it's just familiar. That's, that's, that's some good work to break right there. I'd love to hear some stories around relationships. For me, I had total PTSD some years back. It's been one of my greatest challenges in this lifetime. I was um, actually engaged with a Grammy-winning kind of addict that would be on and off the wagon. It was really a nightmare, but it was so funny because when I was in the midst of it, you know, I thought, well, if he just got well, if he just, you know, if he could just stay sober, if he could just heal, you know, right? And then you realize, oh, it's about me, you know? I clearly don't have enough self-love to take care of myself and keep, you know, pulling in the abandonment factor. It was just another version and an extreme version of the same command I always had, which was, you know, love leaves. I'm not worthy of love. So, you know, how do you deal with something? And I had PTSD because over time, you know, the falling off a wagon, he miraculously, you know, end up in a hotel room with another woman, um, things like that, right? <laughs> so it's like a lot of PTSD out of that. And, um, and what, you know, what do you do with PTSD? Well, PTSD is just trauma to the extreme. So you've, for me, you know, it was a lot of going back in, re-experiencing, taking full responsibility, making amends and saying sorry to myself and doing the trauma work, deep, deep trauma work and neutralizing the mental pictures around it and as is in it. So for anyone out there, the truth is this, it's possible to heal and it's your responsibility to heal. Oh, I love that. Right? I mean, oftentimes we'll just go into the next relationship, start projecting our BS, our belief systems, and just, you know, make them wrong again. And, you know, it's just, you got to stop the cycle. You got to stop it. When you had, uh, we're moving out of the relationship PTSD and then going down the path of like, okay, need to attract a different, st- <laughs> different yeah. story here. Um, I'm wondering, you know, along that way, did you get a couple of testers from the universe? Like, would you go on a date and yeah, would you like run into someone and then be like, ah, nope, not going there? Like, tell us a little bit about that. That's why they call it a daily spiritual practice, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, you know, I think um, I'm an advocate of going to any 12 step for, for breaking your cycle. I think that 12 steps amazing for anyone that's dealing with any, look, we all, if you're in America, you probably have dealt with some level of, of a, an addiction. Um, and breaking the cycle is super important. Uh, yes, I had like a couple people that came in that I was like, I, luckily I'd gone to a 12 step and I'd seen the red flags of, of things. So I didn't, nothing came in my field for more than a, a blink of a second. But yeah, it's very true, right? Because the universe is going to test us over and over again, <laughs> wondering if we have you graduated or not. Let's see. <laughs> Let me dangle this one in front of you. 
Yeah, that's that's why I ask because it inevitably will come up for those people that are on the journey. Oh, you might sure. get a couple of testers until you um, have have gone beyond it. And I noticed that that's really prevalent with people who can't speak up. Then they will be constantly challenged in situations, and until they do, until they do, it doesn't break. And then they still will have to do it again. A couple of reaffirmations there. Um, but isn't that I, the beauty of life? Like if, if we're is. here to basically master energy in the 3D form, right? It's our consciousness and form. And we're, I mean, I believe all of life is just for one thing. It's for our advancement, our evolution, our, you know, growth. So we can, you know, experience the depths of our soul and form. And it's such a cool thing. You know, after you heal from it, you can look back at it and go, wow, what an amazing experience it was. Even the trauma. I, I think that once you truly do your trauma work, you can look back at the hardest things in your entire life and just think about actually how beautiful it was. And at some relative level. They usually are the best things. I mean, uh, that's why... And I think that that's why I was able to have that attitude during the fires, because I was like, you know what? I know from the past that bad things have turned into amazing gifts. And so I'll accept whatever fate happens here, because I know whatever way it's going to be good. And that's my belief. I mean, and that's something that took a while to get to the faith in that. And that's what this is about, right? It's building up the faith once you've gone through some of this work and you can get to that point, I, I would say that many years prior, if this were like 20 years ago, I would have been having a total meltdown about mm-hmm. something that I didn't even know was true yet. Does that make sense? You know it's, what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I had, look, last, what was it? Four, it was Sunday. <laughs> so Sunday, the most random thing happened. I was running around. I forgot something back at my house and I pulled in my driveway. I normally go to the way back and park in my spot, but I thought, well, I'll just park right in the front because I'll just run up real quick, grab what I need and leave. I got back in my car and I kind of turned a little bit and I heard my front bumper kind of hit and I went, oh no. And I kind of jumped out of the car. My entire front bumper was off of my Range Rover. <laughs> Wires were everywhere. And I was like, well, that was fascinating. And it's just like one breath and I'm like back to like, well, okay. I mean, that's whatever. Whereas years ago I would have been, you know, oh, it would have been a big disaster. I would have been calling up on my girlfriend's yeah. pity party, you know, dramatizing it. And the point is, like you said, that when you understand this work, when you've done your deep work, you just get all of life is working for you and you, you got to just trust and have faith. And, and it becomes such a joyful, like playground to play in, right? I love it. I love it too. When um, uh, like this recently, uh, again, about a negative thing seemingly being possible, you know, people stuck in traffic or I, one time I could not get onto a freeway, like all the freeway ramps were closed down by Newport beach and it was night and I wasn't familiar with the area. And I was having a little bit of a, I mean, granted I'm like in the United States, I'm going to be okay. I'll find a gas station, but I started to have a little anxiety and nervousness about like, I don't know where I am. It's late. And anyway, I finally get back onto the freeway and it turns out it was very apparent that I had missed a huge accident. So sometimes there are these moments, right, where even if, even if it's a dumb thing, like, oh my God, I'm stuck in traffic. This sucks. I'm late. Maybe there's a reason you're late. And maybe you would be blessing and thanking the universe for the fact that you're late. Um, sometimes it's just a minute, right? And maybe you were delayed for a reason, you know? Right. Uh, or, or you're meant to run into someone at the car fixing place. Who knows? Right. But that's how that works. So it's better to look at things that way because it's a world of possibilities, that could collapse versus some defined thing you have. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And that's why, I mean, I'm, I am obsessed with this work, Elle. I'm so obsessed with the it's work. so much fun. And it sounds like yeah. people, but that's so selfish. You're like looking at, no, I mean, this is all about, uh, who was it? It was Byron Katie who said, you know, listen, you, you put a monk in a jail cell and he says, thank you. 
because he's with his thoughts. And if every thought you're thinking is great, who cares if you're paralyzed? Right. No, so- like if you're sitting there paralyzed, who cares? If every thought you're thinking is awesome, who cares, right? It, it, so it is about what are we thinking? And granted, we have all of these thoughts, but the more we can get to being aware of our thoughts, because when the ego comes up, when the survival adrenaline kicks in and pumps out a quick fear somewhere, it's so much easier to navigate when you can be aware and go, hold on a minute. Is this true really? Or am I just kind of projecting right. fear into this? And it makes such the difference in one's day. Like you said, you would have called 10 girlfriends 20 years ago. I would have called every girlfriend. Can you believe this happened? My mother, right? God damn it. <laughs> you know? And, and, and I want to remind every of them heard the story, but one of the reasons I even got the job with Mark Sisson is that um, I had been really uh, paycheck, paycheck to paycheck for a couple of years, like really struggling. And my car had gotten towed, had a bunch of tickets and I had to pay it. And I remember being like, all right, that's it. Uh, I need to go find like a, a, some kind of gig. And that led me to working with Mark Sisson that then led to so many other things that were already in my path as a writer, as everything else. I could, but yet that day that it got towed, that bill of 1500 right. bucks, that moment was so, uh, but you know, it's just so funny because it all goes back to like, that was a shitty day that turned into an amazing opportunity right. I could never have guessed. And so I'm glad my car got effing towed. I am so glad that that happened to me. Right. Um, so now, you know, it's, it's kind of fun when you can see these things over time. If you do this work, it will show up like this. And then it gives you the faith for the next one and the next one. And right. then the car bumper falls off and you go, whatever, just have to deal with it. <laughs> well, that brings me back to, you know, being that 22 year old little girl in the mortician's house holding her dead baby. I didn't, I would never have known in that moment that that would have been the greatest blessing that would set me on the path to now where I develop spiritual leaders. I mean, who, who would ever think that something so awful like that could be the exact thing that would send you on the track to give you a life beyond your wildest dreams, you know? And that's, that's, that's what this work does. Yeah. And if someone had walked up to you in that basement and said, don't worry, honey, you're going to love this one. You probably would have like punched him in the face. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, like, what? Are you kidding me? But that's why you do hear from people. Breast cancer is the best thing that ever happened to me, right? right. They learn who their friends are. They went through this. They da-da-da. They discover things about love themselves. And I understand that. Uh, uh, because again, my hands getting injured was one of the best things that have ever happened to me. And I wouldn't take it back, despite the fact that there are moments when I wish I, it was a little different, but I don't really, I don't. Um, tell us, well, first of all, let's talk about good morning, La La Land for a minute. And um, then I want to get into like your yeah. IG lives, which you do, which I love. So yeah. this is what I love about your show is that you really, it, you guys are just promoting so many great spiritual healers, positivity, people, people who are talking about subconscious all of your guests are in this realm. So I know that was your purpose here with this, but let's talk a little bit about Good Morning La La Land for a minute. Well, we just, we're just on a, a year and a half. We've had over 3,000 guests on the show. We've had wow. 600 segments and we've had over 100 million impressions now. So it's Congrats. been very well received. Thank you. Um, and the, the intention of the show really was to bring positivity, inspiration, and some truth bombs, but just also just have a light thing. I remember years ago when I was uh, a single mom and my son was really young and I would turn on shows like Oprah and um, like Regis and Kelly, or it wasn't Regis and Kelly, it was Regis and whatever her name was back then. And I just remember it really helped my day. You know, it brought a little bit of light. And so when I was in ministerial school and thinking, how can I bring truth to the world without 
a, a religion. I don't, you know, it doesn't work anymore for, for majority of people. And how do we bring it into just a conscious conversation? And I just knew there was a show and the show's been so fun. Um, but so to, like today is a prime example of what we're just talking about today. So we had on some really big names for, um, for, uh, Pride and Prejudice today on the show, but we also had these other guys um, doing a podcast called The White Tiger, and and I was talking to the guy because he was an ex um, policeman, and I thought, well, how did you begin to interview? You know, um, this is a skill, and he said, well, I used to be a detective that would have to investigate people and interview them. So again, the universe—you never know what you're doing right now and where that's going to land you down the line. And so Good Morning La Land is one of those things that has this magic that happens. There's a magic that happens. I know you've experienced where you go in there and look, we've touched tons of life and guests end up collaborating with other guests. There's miracles that happen every single day. And we just, we just show up. We just show up. We just have conscious conversations and we let the, the miracles happen. Yeah, and and your co-hosts Rob Mack and Jeslyn Moyer, both of who I have interviewed, incredible people, amazing lovely spirit, really like yeah. yeah, and also your producer Andy, right? Yes, yeah, you have the best crew there. Like the vibes there are amazing. Like I, I told you, they are some of the best vibes in Hollywood I've ever been in any kind of scenario, and everyone says that. I've had friends and colleagues go on your show. It's the same vibe. You guys create such a good environment there. And, and again, just incredible people. Um, let's move on to what I love about you is that you do your daily live on IG <laughs> as you're driving to work. You usually do a sp- Tell us about those. Those are lovely. Well, I mean, as a doctor divinity, you know, I just think, I think that for me, it's getting my mind right every single morning and getting back to truth and understand when I understood universal law and understood, um, you know, the metaphysics of life, and subconscious work. I mean, if I could give that to anybody, I would give it to them. So every morning, I just, you know, I just figured, okay, what can I do? I'm, I'm on the way to the studio anyway. The studio is literally like seven blocks from my house. And I was like, well, I can go live every morning on the way over there. I'm camera ready anyway for the show. <laughs> so I throw on this live stream. And it's just so funny because I will bump into people like at random events and they're like, oh, I watch your morning show and your morning live in your Range Rover every morning. It's like hilarious. So it's become kind of a thing. So it's been super fun. And tell us your, I mean, we'll put all of the links in the show notes, but give us your Instagram handle where we can go and, you know, follow you so that we can get sure. these daily. It's, it's drerin.tv, which is just D-R-E-R-I-N.tv. And, um, and I have a platform, Soul Society. We launched it January 1st. It's doing extremely well. Soul Society. Yes, I have to go to the, I've missed a couple of them. I plan on attending in the future. It looks amazing. Tell us about that. We've been having so much fun. So Soul Society is really my baby in that it's developing spiritual leaders. So we come together. Um, it's, our vision really is to be the number one spiritual leaders community in the world committed to in, enlightenment, empowerment, and entrepreneurship. So actually my real goal is to develop world-class spiritual leaders because just like you and I have been having this conversation, how much truth and how much freedom and how much joy we've had in doing our work, that's what I want to bring. That's my. That's what I want my legacy to be for the world. And I can't do that alone. I can only do it with, with a, you know, an army of amazing spiritual leaders. That's such an incredible uh, goal and intention to put out there. And tell us as well how you mentor other people in, in your website and what you offer. Let's say we're like, okay, you're, you're, you know, watch one, good morning, La La Land. We've got your daily IGs, but we want more from you and oh. your work. Uh, what can we do? 
Sure. Um, I have a, a book, like Elle mentioned, um, Awakening, and I'm happy to give that free as a PDF that comes with 40 guided meditations and a digital masterclass. I also have an, a podcast, Dr. Aaron, and an app, Dr. Aaron. So there's lots of ways of consuming content. I'm on live every day to the studio and on Good Morning Lawland, and I just have a radio show that we're just kind of playing around with right now. I'm not positive how long it's going to be or not, but it's on Wednesday afternoon. Oh, sorry. It goes live Mondays on Dash, or I go live on Wednesdays um, on IG, and it's called Love Soul Sessions. We talk all about dating, love, and relationships from a metaphysical standpoint, but also from a human perspective. I make fun of myself a lot on there. <laughs> oh, I love I love that. You, um, I'll have to make sure I get that information to put in the show. Yeah, Give us fun. the handle again of what we need to go to to follow that. Um, it's just at mine, drerin.tv. Oh, it's just there. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. What are some other thoughts you'd like to leave us with as far as, you know, why to motivate people to get into this and, you You know, my dad's an, a homeopathic doctor, as you've interviewed him on here. And I think that the common denominator, whether it's anyone dealing with health issues or relationship issues or money issues or depression or anything, I fully believe it comes down to consciousness. It's the same energy that creates scarcity that can create abundance. The same energy that can create disease actually can can create vitality. I truly believe that. And that when we understand that the power of our thought, the power of belief, the power of identity is everything. It is, it's creating the entire universe right now. And I recognize anybody listening that you are a powerful spiritual being. You always have been, you always will be. And that you have the power to create miracles right here, right now in your own body and around you. And I simply know that wholeheartedly. I'm so thankful for you, Al. You're one of the most extraordinary people I've ever met. I just want to say thank you so much for all of your work and Mark and everyone that knows that we not only need to get our mind right, but we need to align with Mother Earth and, and good food and good people and all the above. Oh, so beautifully said. And I'm such a huge fan of yours as well. Um, you and your crew have just brought me so much love. And um, I just, I love talking to all of you. Can't wait to have you back on again. Thank you so much. And again, for the audience, if uh, you'd like to listen to the previous episode we did, that's episode 259. And um, we will put all of the links in the show notes to connect with Dr. Aaron. Thank you so much again for coming on. Thank you so much, Al. Have a beautiful day. You too. Hi, Brad Kearns here with something different than a stiff commercial script message. I want to give you an authentic endorsement for one of my favorite supplements of all time. It's called Adaptogenic Calm. used to be called Primal Calm, and the key ingredient in this formula is called Phosphatidylserine, or PS. And this agent has been shown in hundreds of studies to blunt the catabolic effects of the stress hormone cortisol in the bloodstream that's released in response to all forms of life stress, whether it's a series of difficult workouts, extensive jet travel, personal stress of any kind. We're constantly triggering the fight-or-flight mode in modern life. And when people say, hey, you should take a chill pill, this really is a chill pill. Because when you consume an appropriate amount of phosphatidylserine and the other supportive ingredients that have been known to have a calming effect on the central nervous system, things like magnesium, L-theanine, magnolia bark, and rhodiola, you will get a calming effect. It's not like a stimulant product that makes you feel more energy and have a better workout, but instead this sort of takes the edge off of that stress buzz where you feel that 
foggy brain function, maybe a little shaky and finally fried at the end of a busy, stressful day, this stuff will help you clear your bloodstream from those catabolic stress hormones before they can do the damage. So I like to take significant quantities of it in and around stressful events, such as jet travel or in those heavy training cycles when you're really pushing your body and trying so hard not to fall into that overtraining, overstress, foggy brain function spiral downward. That's right, phosphatidylserine has also been shown to enhance cognitive function. It's commonly used in Europe on cognitive decline patients. And you can 